While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he said to them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Thanks, Sarah, and good evening, everyone. Uh, my name's Josh, if I don't know you. Hi, I'd love to meet you after the service if I haven't met you before. Um, I'm just gonna start by praying. Let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you for your peace. I thank you that it's here with us now. I thank you that you are here. Thank you for your presence, and we pray that you will speak through your word in power tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can say amen. Amen. Okay, a bit more engagement, excellent. So we've, um, we've, we've read our passage uh, just now, and if we put it alongside our calendars that we've been looking at as we've been encouraging you to come to Christmas services and invite to Christmas services, please do that, by the way. It maybe seems a little bit strange. If you were here at the start of the service, we said it's Advent Sunday, which for me, by the way, is otherwise known as one of the last days before I get woken up at 5.30 every morning by kids asking if they can have their Advent chocolate yet. But that's not really just what Advent um, is all about about. But on Advent Sunday, where we look to Christ coming again, we're looking, it seems, and we are, looking at an Easter passage in the run-up to Christmas. And, and actually, Christmas being the first coming, and then today being about more about his second coming. And we know that the second coming is something that's going to happen because of today's meal, because this meal is a meal with resurrected Jesus. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. It's post-resurrection. He, he didn't stay in the wooden manger at Christmas, as we're about to look at, nor on the wooden cross at Easter. But this meal at a wooden table in the first century tells us that he is alive in 21st century Clapham, even even as we're about to lose our wooden pews. And so let's start, shall we, looking at this meal, the last in our series, and, and each time we said it's a meal of something. And today we're looking at a meal of promise. A meal of promise. And, and I think there's a few key promises that are highlighted in this. I think they were highlighted very deliberately to and for the disciples, but I also believe that they're highlighted for us today. We're gonna look at the promise of God's peace. We're going to look at the promise of his presence with us and for us. We're going to look at the promise of his power and all of these things equipping us. I'm giving it away before we've even got there to know the purpose that we can have in following Jesus and what that might look like. 
But first, let's begin looking at today's passage and really try and unpack what this meant for the disciples. We think that maybe not all of the disciples were there, but many of them were in this passage. It's quite possible, in fact, quite likely that this is the same room from the passage last week where they had the Last Supper. So they're still there a few days later. This passage, as we look at it in the Bible, you can have a look if you want. The section just before is is a piece of scripture that talks about something called the road to Emmaus. And it's where two of Jesus' followers are walking out of Jerusalem, sad, downcast, they're gutted, their saviour has died. And and somebody comes to walk with them. And as this person walks with them, he, he unpacks scripture. And then he breaks bread. And it says that their hearts are burnt within them. Something was going on. And they realized, they recognized it, to be Jesus. They recognized that he was there and they ran back full of joy and enter this passage. This is, this is where they're coming into. They run back, burst in, still talking about it, still not really getting it just yet. Is Jesus alive again? Something has just happened. Maybe you've been watching some of the World Cup and you've seen people be interviewed after they've done like a really amazing moment. They've had a goal or they've done something that's really great. Or for me, I think more about those moments straight after somebody's run the 100 meters or something else and they're exhausted, right? And they get asked, how do you feel? How do you, how do you feel? How do you think I felt? I just won an Olympic gold. But what they often say, it seems to me, is it hasn't really sunk in yet. It hasn't really sunk in yet. And, and these followers who met Jesus on the road, I'm not sure it had really sunk in yet. And these, these disciples who were kind of here after their saviour had died, they're not really sure what is going on. They definitely weren't sharp to what was going on and they couldn't probably articulate exactly what was happening. But then Jesus bursts in and he bursts into today's passage. Hello, I'm here. And here, and here we are looking to try to understand why Jesus has burst into this moment at this meal. While they were still talking about this, is how our passage starts. Please do keep looking back at your Bibles. It will come up on the screen as well. While they were still talking about this, you'd assume what had happened in the road to Emmaus. Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace. Probably more like panic. Definitely we read in a minute, frightened. A little bit of fear is going on here. Now, shalom, peace be with you, a common greeting in this time. But it's important, I suppose, important to say who is speaking this peace in this moment because this is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And we should recognize that as we realize him coming into the room and saying, peace be with you. Verse 37 continues, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. That shows they don't really they're not really sure yet are they they're not really sure and he said to them why are you troubled why do doubts rise in your mind why do you think Jesus you've you've appeared out of nowhere why do you think that we are doubting and you have to realize that they haven't the disciples haven't had a penny drop moment here they haven't had one of those yet and Jesus as we go through this passage he's so kind to them and let's not put ourselves, I always, it's always easy to do this, where people who for many of us have the benefit of having read the whole book, of knowing what's about to happen, of knowing that this is Jesus, but let's not pretend that we would have got it when the disciples didn't. We probably wouldn't have got it fully, or at all, either. And when, when something bad happens, think about when something bad happens in your own life, it throws you, doesn't it? And the worst thing, The worst thing that could possibly have happened, especially when they hadn't understood what was going to happen, had just happened. Jesus had died. The worst thing had happened. So their teacher, their savior had been killed. Some of them thinking about scattering. Some of them walking out of Jerusalem and then running back when they met him. But Jesus is so kind here. He said, peace be with you. 
And I guess he's recognizing the absence of peace in the questions that he asks them. Doubting? Let me help you. He says, verse 39, look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. It's a foundation for the peace that he is promising to them. I'm really here. Leaving them in no doubt that this is resurrected real Jesus. And he's going to carry on helping them in just a moment. But we have to look at this passage and go, this is something for the disciples. It's a message for the disciples. But my prayer tonight is we realize that it's also a message for us. The Prince of Peace, perfect peace, walks into the room for me and for you, as he is in this passage. And maybe ask yourself the question now, where do I know that I need peace at the moment? There's always going to be tricky things in life. There's always going to be things that have the potential to rock us or are rocking us right now. But what difference does Jesus and Jesus' promise of peace as the Prince of Peace, what, what difference does that make? So we've had a promise of peace. This is a meal of promises, a promise of peace. And now we have, and we've already started to have a promise of presence. They would think back probably to this moment, to this mortal resurrected body, able to appear to his disciples. He was really there. They would look back and know it wasn't a ghost. In a minute, he's about to prove it even further. They touch him here, verse 40, when he has said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement. There's a shock thing going on here. The penny is not dropped yet. He asked them, do you have anything to eat? Maybe this was too good to be true. So Jesus is just really wanting to make sure that they know, oh, maybe I didn't, maybe we didn't actually touch him. Maybe we've forgotten what it was really like. Jesus is wanting to make sure that they know without a doubt that he is really there present with them. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. I think this proves it even more than anything potentially because if I was resurrected, not that I am, but if I was, you know, broiled fish, it wouldn't be top of my list. Like, it, it wouldn't be what I choose. And so this clearly isn't about food. This is actually much more about proof. I'm, I'm really here. He eats with them and eats in their presence. But actually, it's all about this promise that I'm, that I'm really here. He eats with them. It's a new covenant happening. And as we continue through the passage, you'd imagine and you'd think there'd be a gap in time here. As, 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 the, as the disciples kind of reel from what's going on, as many of them come and, and they touch his hands and probably have some broiled fish as well. Maybe they're hungry. But they do that for a little while, and then we get to this bit where a conversation has started. A conversation has started where Jesus is sitting them down and saying, this is how it can be. This is how it's happened. This is how you can know it's really me. And it's not just that you've touched me. It's not just the fish thing. But he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's saying, long ago, today was in mind. The Old Testament, it points to me, to, to what I will do, and they still needed to have their minds opened. I'm not sure they got it yet at this point, but as we look back at the Old Testament, every story whispers the name of Jesus. It's concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament, which means we have to search it out. But actually, here it says, then he opened their minds. 
Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. And that's verse 45. Have a look at it. We should approach this verse humbly as well. They needed him to understand. We need the Holy Spirit to really understand who Jesus is, to understand what the scripture is about. Without, without the Holy Spirit, it's double dutch. We, we can't get it. But actually, I wonder whether what he's doing is he's going, the Messiah will suffer and rise. Maybe he's telling them Old Testament stories that whisper his name. Maybe he is going Passover. Remember, we just shared a meal a few days ago. Do you remember what that's about? Maybe he's talking about animals killed to deal with people's sin as he goes through the prophets and he goes through these different books, the Psalms and the law of Moses. As he goes through these books, he's saying, do you remember the goats sent out with sin? Do you remember the story of Jonah, three days? And then out of of the belly of the fish, the third day vomited up passage after passage that the Messiah would come. That the king of the king that God would appoint and anoint, that he would reign on David's throne forever. He's unpacking what has already been said to make sure, don't you see? I was always there. I was always there with you in mind. And we should do the same thing as we approach scripture as well. He told them, This is written that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. They're like, oh, hold on. One, two, three. Someone died. And they had this thing, there's this shock. They've seen something with their eyes, but I think Jesus wants to make this more, of a, more than just a moment, more than just an experience, more than just something that in years to come could be argued away. He wants to open their minds. And, and some maybe find it harder to articulate emotions, startled, frightened, amazement, joy, but Jesus isn't playing on emotion here. He's not playing on experience. He wants make, to make sure that they know what, and he wants to make sure that they know Why? I'm not a ghost, I'm here. I'm really here, look, look back. I've always been working towards this moment. He did the same thing on the road to Emmaus, I'm sure, as he unpacked the scriptures with them. One of the first things he says to the women in the garden is, you know, this was gonna happen. And actually, they didn't get it first time, maybe didn't get it second time. It seems they might have not got it third time. It's a good encouragement if you're a little bit like me and need a few attempts to get something. We're in good company. The disciples didn't get it straight away. But I wonder if you've ever had a moment, a penny drop moment. For, for me, the one I thought of as I was preparing this came in around about year 11. This is a simultaneous equation. Um, <laughs> can I just ask, has anyone ever used a simultaneous equation in actual work? Ah, oh, my teachers were right. No, wait, are you teachers? Ah, oh, you see, it doesn't count. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it, but actually, a teacher did help me to understand, even if it hasn't been helpful since. I do like him. Ha- to understand the simultaneous equations, there was a penny drop moment. You can take this slide down. It's not about simultaneous equations. But suddenly, the penny dropped for me, and, but I needed a teacher. I needed a teacher to reveal it to me and to help me. X equals Y. Great. Others got it quicker than me, I admit. But it's fine. My point is that he opened their minds. There was a penny drop moment for the disciples here. Verse 46 ends with a man suffering and familiar with pain. It's like, guys, that just happened. Tells the story of the cross. Reminds them of the story of the cross. You know, he's about to ascend. The last three verses of this book, he's, he's about to go back to heaven, and then Acts starts. So Jesus has chosen this is what's going to happen in his last like, you know, time with him, one of his last times with his disciples. He's about to go. And he thinks that this, unpacking where he was in the rest of Scripture, is, one of the, is the most important thing that he can do. I wonder what that says to us. But I think this is a message for the disciples back then, but it's also a message for us today. For the disciples, he showed 
who he, that he was really here. And then they walked in that. And we have the same opportunity today to re-recognize Jesus. For some of us, it's re-recognizing. For some of us, it might be the first time that we're really thinking about this. Where, where do I need to recognize my need to say, Jesus, you're here with me right now in the thing that I'm going through, the thing that's good and the thing that's difficult? And, and to ask yourself the question, what difference does that make? I think it makes a big difference. So you have peace, a promise of that. We have presence and a promise of that. And now we come to a promise of power. I knew you'd think it would start with a P. It does. Peace, presence, and power. And they know now this is Jesus, so what next? In my head, Peter's already booked an arena tour. He's got a short list of the three best quartets ready for opening hymns. He's ready. And then he realizes Jesus didn't stay. But that's fine. He has to start listening again. Jesus says he's told them... This is what it is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Peter's like, yeah, I've got the tour. We're good to go. You are witnesses of these things. Oh, we're doing it. Okay. And I'm going to send you. Okay, me, great. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. This is talking about Pentecost. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power Power from on high. Send the Holy Spirit. Stay until you are clothed with power. And now comes the next phase of the plan. Now comes Acts. I'm sending you to carry on the mission that I started. The mission that's been all throughout this book of of Luke. I came to seek and save the lost, is what Jesus says in one of our passages earlier in the series. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. I will equip you with power for purpose. Power, clothes with power from on high. It's talking about Pentecost, like I say, but the purpose is to tell others. You are witnesses of these things. And we see that they do that as we read through Acts. And we've got to remember, Luke and Acts, it's like part one and part two. They flow into one another. They're a pair. They flow in as one narrative. And, And so this is very much a message to the disciples of what's about to happen and what they need to be able to do what's about to happen. It's a message for them, but it's also a message for us, because we can know the sending power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. And where in our world do we need to see the power of God at work? Where in our city? Where in our own lives? As we prayed earlier, God, we need God's power. And we focused so far on the, on the narrative of the disciples, and, and so much of it is applicable to us, and we should apply it directly. But actually, we're also, we're, we're post-Pentecost, which means the Holy Spirit has already come. And, and so we can and we, we have the opportunity to have our minds open by the Holy Spirit to the Bible. We have the whole Bible sitting in front of us here in the pews. We can go and look for all of those things that Jesus would have talked them through. We can learn them and know them and understand them for ourselves. We can do what, do what it says. We, we can be deliberate about that. In many ways, we're in a much better position than the disciples were then. But it takes us to decide. It takes us to decide to, to do that. To, we have the opportunity to know God through his Holy Spirit, but we do have to repent and believe. There's a choice that we personally need to make. I wonder, have you decided that? Have you decided that? It's the best thing that you can decide to do. It changes everything. And we ourselves, like I've said, need to look at that verse 45 with humility. We need his help to understand who he is. Let's never grow out of the need for Jesus. The gospel isn't just the first thing we learn and then we move on. The gospel is it. Stay in it. 
It's the main point, not just a little side point that we start for baby Christians. The gospel is the main thing. Never grow out of our need to understand it more, to live it out more, to be ready to do this. And how do you feel knowing that the same Holy Spirit that equipped the early church is the Holy Spirit that equips you? Go and make disciples. I wonder how you feel about that. Probably a little bit how they did. I wonder whether you're asking similar questions or want Jesus to ask the same question of you. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? That will happen. But we take them to Jesus. For me, I need peace. I know I need peace. I need peace in family life at the moment. I need peace. One of my children is having particular challenges at school. And man, I need peace to help support them in that. I need peace for, for myself. Where is God leading me to in the future? The future is the thing that gets me peace-wise. Not knowing what might happen next is the thing that rocks me most. It's the thing I most need to be deliberate about, trusting Jesus. And it'll be something different. It could be the same thing for you, but there's, there's often something that we, to use a, a sort of a phrase that I've used, it doesn't really mean it, claim your peace, i.e. the peace of God is something we can know because his Holy Spirit is in us, but there are things in our lives that are way more likely to rock us when it comes to us losing our peace. But Jesus walks into that situation and into this room and he says, peace be with you. And he says it with so much conviction and so much power because he is the prince of peace. Where do you need that at the moment? Where do you know you have the potential to be rocked? And what difference does or should Jesus make? And I wanna say to you today that Jesus walks into every room, every meal, every situation, you find yourself in with a promise, a promise of peace. And we can hear him saying that to us today. It's helpful with the way our world is at the moment, isn't it? So we have a promise of peace. We have a promise of presence. His presence to you and I, his presence changes everything. The passage just before ours, I spoke to you about at the very beginning of this talk, the road to Emmaus, that they, they were walking with Jesus and felt sad and downcast and then they ran back with joy having recognized that Jesus was with them. Now Jesus was alive on the way there when they felt how they did and he was equally alive on the way back when they felt completely different, they felt joy. So what was the difference? Well, the difference was they'd recognized the presence of Jesus for themselves. They'd recognized that he was alive, and that changed everything. And so when it comes to this promise of presence, they went from frightened to full of missional faith, bursting into the room. Guess what's just happened? From sad to sent. God with us, the story of Christmas. Into the room, into today's passage. What's our attitude, maybe, when we approach Scripture? What's our attitude when we come to this passage or another passage? As we maybe do that in connect groups on Wednesday, are we there to go, how do we work out which bits Josh got wrong? Are we there to go, how do I, how do I try and like just kind of go through and, and think of the things that weren't said? Or as we approach the Bible, do we, do we copy Jesus? And do we play where's Wally but where's Jesus? Where is he in each passage? That we, I'm not saying don't wrestle with tricky parts of scripture, please do. But do it through the lens of Jesus and do it through asking the question, Jesus, how are you trying to walk off the page into my world, into my life, into the good stuff, into the difficult stuff? How are you trying to walk off the page into my life? Jesus, where are you? Is the main question we ask when we approach any part of the Bible. And what difference does that make? And our attitude probably loads, but it makes a massive difference 
in our lives as well as we respond to where he is walking off the page. Sometimes it's going to sting. It's going to be, this is something you need to shift or change. But so much of the time, it will be a comforting thing as well or alongside that. So where do I need to recognize my need for Jesus so I can cope, so I can be brave, so I can be who God has called me to be? You can insert your own situation there. And this Old Testament summary that he gives, it's the gospel, and it is what we need to be equipped for service, to understand who Jesus is, that he sends us his peace, that he's with us, and and that's not going to change. To highlight to us where the enemy is trying to do the opposite and tell us lies about who we are or what we're called to do. When we claim his peace in our lives and when we say Jesus is really with me and invite him to do that, we highlight those moments where, where we're believing something that we shouldn't. The Bible highlights where we're believing something we shouldn't because if it's not in there, it's not true. And if it is in there, it is true. Even if it doesn't feel true. Our emotions will lie to us, but the word of God will not. And as we look at the early church, it's also for the church today. This equipping their Messiah is our Messiah. And where do we need power in our lives? Power for this purpose that we have. I was thinking about this myself because I asked that rhetorical question quite early on in preparing for this and thought, I don't really know the answer to that. Uh, The more I thought about it, the reason I don't know the answer to that is because it's all of my life. Jesus, I need you in all of my life. I was trying to go, is it, is it work? Well, yeah, it's work. Is it friendships? Yeah, it's friendships. Is it future career? Yeah, it's future career stuff. Is it family challenges? Is it the good family stuff? Is it friendships? Is it my sin? Is it my priorities and how I decide what those priorities even should be? Is it my relationship with God? My relationship with other people? I need his peace. I need his presence and I need his power in all of those things. So we shouldn't narrow it down. We open up the whole of our lives to Jesus. And as I look at the task ahead of being a follower of Jesus, and maybe you feel this today too, maybe it pinches and maybe it should. It shouldn't always be easy. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, not a way, a truth, and a life. That's gonna pinch in our culture and in our world. I like peace so often. I feel alone (laughs) quite a bit of the time and I know that I feel weak. I need Jesus, I need his peace, I need his presence, and I need his power. And I've grown up in a, in a Christian family, and from, from as long as I can remember, definitely from teenage years, I've, I've desperately wanted God to move. I've wanted God to move in my own life, but more I've wanted to see revival in my churches that I'm in, in the nation that I'm part of. Can you imagine if the church, if this church, if even just a few people in this church really fully got what it means to walk in his peace, to know his presence in every moment of every day, and to walk in, this, in the power that the Holy Spirit equips us to walk in, it would, it would change the world. It would change, it would change your world. And we can choose this today. We can. Why would we settle for anything less? Why would we settle for just a little bit of extra peace tomorrow? when we can know all of it? Why would we settle for his presence in the, in the good thing or in the one tricky thing that we think we could highlight today? Please do, name the stuff. Invite Jesus into the specifics of your life. But don't do that at the cost of inviting him into all of it. Our job as the church is to take the message of Jesus to the world. This promise of peace, it's real, it's for you, and it's today. 
This promise of presence, God with us. I'm accidentally getting Christmassy again. It's by accident. It's real. It's for you. It's, it's today. The promise of power. Holy Spirit in you and in me. How does my prayer life change tomorrow if I believe all this? I'll tell you why. It increases my expectation of what God can do. And the next day, and, and, and so all of these promises lead us to and equip us for the purpose that God has given us to carry on what Jesus started, his spirit in us. God closes in righteousness. He's equipped us to understand Jesus and he's given us the power to tell other people. There is a personal response here, but there's also one that is all of us as Christians, as the church. The very fact that we are here today, the very fact that HTC exists, it proves that somebody somewhere has preached the gospel to all nations. That's why we're here. We're, we're proof of this mission continuing. So now we'll be part of it carrying on, will we? That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. For this whole passage, for this whole passage, the focus is all on Jesus. We don't have to muster faith. Jesus is the one who presents the evidence for our faith and enables us by his spirit. It's not something we have to muster up and he maps out the, ne the next phase. He maps out Acts, which we can still walk in now. In Jesus' name, to all nations. Now, this is simple. In some ways, the gospel is simple. But let's never be confused by sometimes the feeling of simplicity with whether it has depth or otherwise. It has depth. It has so much depth. And we're going to respond together in a moment. But I just want to encourage us that the the truth of what we are saying here today, it's, it doesn't need to feel complicated for it to be right. And it doesn't feel, need to feel complicated for it to be full of depth. And we're gonna respond in worship in just a moment, but I'd love to pray for us before we do. And I wonder whether tonight for, for some people here, you've got, actually, I don't think I've ever responded to Jesus for myself in my own heart. Or maybe I did, but it was a long time ago and I've gone far away since then. So I'm gonna say a short prayer and maybe for some of you, this prayer is something that you'll be echoing in your heart for the first time. Jesus, I thank you that you, you came in power. We can know your peace and your presence in our lives and we're sorry where we get it wrong. We thank you that we can say sorry for for that stuff for our sin. We thank you that you can come into our lives by your Holy Spirit and equip us. You forgive us. And you give us a job to do. Please help us now, we pray. We thank you that nothing from our past can stop us from having a future with you when we repent like this passage has said and believe that you are the son of God and Holy Spirit we ask that you will be speaking to us as individuals as we stand here and we respond equip us for service we pray